Lord Jesus, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. Let the light of your face shine upon me. Watch over me, lead me, and guide me. That with you, evermore I shall be. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time prayerful. Mary, my mother. Saint Joseph, my father. My guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So this year I passed my 14th anniversary as a priest, and uh, which means it's been about 21 years since I entered the seminary, which makes me feel old. Remember when we were kids and we were watching like movies from the 1960s on daytime TV and thinking to myself, like, I wonder if someday, like Back to the Future will be on daytime TV. Now I just feel old sometimes. But it's been good during this um this time that we're living in has really called me to go back and reflect on what was going on 20 years ago. And um and at that time John Paul II was the pope and we had the great Jubilee year of 2000 and it was a time of great hope. And there was the Y2K scare, but that didn't really affect very many people. It was supposed to be like the biggest deal. And then it turned out to be nothing. And he spoke a lot about the new springtime of the church. And I think and a lot of times in our idealistic minds, we, we had our idea of what that was going to look like, like, like everything's going to be amazing, right? And in the last few months, um, like as I look through social media, like we just have to kind of talk about where we are. Um, it is amazing but in a completely different way. And, and we've seen like so much division enter into the world and division over things that don't matter, like really division over things that don't matter. And you see people with great minds who could do so much good to spread the gospel, having really like, 
juvenile debates on social media about wearing masks. And, and I'm, I don't want to enter into controversy. <laughs> like I <clears throat> respect everybody's right to do what they want to do. And um, I just, for some reason, I just think that the devil is really happy about the fact that great minds in the church are writing articles about whether Thomas Aquinas would wear a mask. And that's given me cause to reflect on the importance of seeing people's faces. which allowed me to remember that John Paul II, when he lays out this plan for the new millennium, begins with talking about contemplating our Lord's face and how important our Lord's face is. And the Jewish people prayed the Psalms as they awaited the coming Messiah in one of those Psalms says, Lord, I long to see your face. Now they believed in one God, this invisible God, who manifested himself as a burning bush, who manifested himself as a column of fire or a column of smoke. Moses would converse with him, and afterwards Moses would have to cover his own face because people couldn't bear to see him. Lord, I long to see your face. And then came this moment of the incarnation in which the living God emptied himself and took the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men so that we could see see his face. And it's his face that changes hearts. It's our face that allows us to be in relationship. There's a French philosopher named Emmanuel Levinas and he wrote volumes about the face. And the one quote he speaks that was repeated over and over and over again when I was in graduate school was, the face of the other says, don't kill me. And I remember hearing that and my professor speaking Italian and I'm like, did I hear that right? The face of the other says, don't kill me. Because the face of the other invites us into vulnerability. When we recognize the vulnerability of another, it reminds us that we're vulnerable and that we could be killed.
And our Lord's face perhaps is the most vulnerable face. Because it's completely transparent. And when we see him, we actually see the father, he says. It's not like Moses where he converse with God and then he has to cover his face because he had seen God and now we see Moses. Whoever sees me sees the Father. In John Paul II in Novo Millennio Iniente, reflecting on this, he talks about these two dynamisms of the son's face that face we look upon and, and we see the father, the face that is impressed by the father that contemplates the father, the face that looked up into Mary's eyes and said to her, don't you know I must be about my father's affairs? Didn't you know I would be with the father? And the other is a face of sorrow. He says, in contemplating Christ's face, we confront the most paradoxical aspect of his mystery as it emerges in his last hour on the cross, the mystery within the mystery, before which we cannot but prostrate ourselves in adoration. And so our Lord's face is also this face of sorrow that in Gethsemane cries out to the Father. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The face that cried out on the cross. The words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that paradox is revealed. He says, Jesus's cry on the cross, dear brothers and sisters, is not the cry of anguish of a man without hope, but the prayer of the son who offers his life to the father in love for the salvation of all. At the very moment when he identifies with our sin abandoned by the Father, he abandons himself into the hands of the Father. And so in this moment of his greatest suffering, in this moment of this experience of abandonment, in this moment of isolation, in this moment in which nobody really understood who he was and even his closest friends scattered, he abandons himself into the hands of the Father. 
And so at one and the same time, that face of sorrow is the face of the sun. And he suffers because of the suffering of the people around him. He suffers a kind of empathy. As he looks into the faces of those who are suffering or those who have abandoned our Lord, those who have turned from our Lord. He directly suffers from the sins of others. And yet at the same time, he's abandoned into the hands of the father. He knows who the father is. And he knows who he is. That he is the son. And that's the most fundamental element of our faith that Jesus is the son of God that he gave his life for us so that we could live. And then we're all called to imitate him in love. That each and every one of us is called to reflect his face, to the world to live even in the midst of suffering to come to know who we are in Christ in the midst of feeling abandoned to abandon ourselves into the hands of our Lord. And the way that we come to do that is in fact, in contemplating his face and entering into relationship with him. And in the midst of that relationship, we grow in confidence in his great love for us. You know, last Sunday, we had the gospel reading of Peter walking on the water and and I found great comfort in that. I always find comfort in reflecting on Peter because he's my confirmation saint, but also because he forgets a lot who he is. And, and what was most striking to me in that gospel reading was that, you know, Peter and the other disciples were with our Lord when he fed 5,000 people. Like they were with our Lord when he fed 5,000 people. Bread was multiplying in their own hands as they were feeding these 5,000 people. And they must have just been like, yes, this is it. It's amazing. 
if bread multiplied in my hands when I was feeding people, I would be like, I would never doubt again. And then our Lord afterwards, he makes them get into the boat and go across the sea. And then the storm comes. And in the midst of the storm, they're all afraid. Almost as if they're thinking to themselves, we just fed 5,000 people and now he's sending out here, us out here to die. Like, how is that even possible? And our Lord comes to them across the water and Peter sees our Lord. And now he sees our Lord. He sees our Lord's face and he's confident again. And he says, call me to walk out on the water. And our Lord does. And he does. Then he notices the wind. And he takes his eyes off our Lord's face. And he starts to sink. And then he has to cry out again, Lord, save me. And our Lord saves him, puts him in the boat. Everybody says, truly, you're the son of God. But they're going to forget again. And there's a kind of comfort in that lesson because we can identify with the fact that there are times in our life when we felt that we've really known our Lord is here. And then there's times in our life where we felt like, I'm not really sure our Lord is here. Because we can become forgetful. And the thing about our Lord is our Lord is never forgetful. Because soon as he feeds these 5,000 people, he goes away up a mountain to be alone with the Father. And so even our Lord takes time out to remember. He takes specific time out to remember. And I imagine as he goes up to be alone with the father that he remembers the day of his own baptism. When the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the father moves him like I like what's the content of our Lord's prayer with the father. It's not recorded. But I imagine it was kind of a mini Gethsemane in a way. And the father said, go to your disciples across the sea. And our Lord said, what? I can't walk across the water. Go to your disciples across the sea. Okay, I trust you. And he goes. And he's moved to be with them. And he never forgets who he is. And so in our own time, it's all the more important that we remember who we are 
and we remember that with our Lord. And we do that by contemplating his face. And another scripture passage that I want to look at is John, it's Luke chapter five. And this is the passage that John Paul II uses in his apostolic letter, Novo Millennio Iniente. It says, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and we have caught nothing. But at your command, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to help them. They came and filled both boats so that they were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish had made, they had made seized him and all those with him. And likewise, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John, who were partners of Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. In his apostolic letter, John Paul II talks about this particular passage. And it's interesting because he makes reference to it in terms of pastoral planning. And how If we don't begin from our Lord's face, if we don't begin with the primacy of grace, if we don't begin with conversion, if we're not firmly rooted in the person of Christ, we run the danger of saying what Simon said. Lord, we've been out here all night and we caught nothing. And that, again, resonated because of some of the dialogue that goes on. Like, will anybody come back to Mass after COVID? Are we going to lose everybody? It's always extreme, you know? And I think there's an answer to that, which is if people don't come back to Mass after COVID, they probably weren't there in the first place. 
But then we have to step back and say to ourselves, I've been out here all night and I've caught nothing. And there's lots of context that that can apply to. Like when I take my day off and the night before I think to myself, I'm going to spend like four hours writing, working on that like book chapter I'm supposed to get done. And I'm going to you know make a few phone calls and I'm going to go jogging and I might lift weights. And then my day off comes and I sleep in and I get up and I go to breakfast and I come back and I watch that one show. And then four hours later, I haven't done any of the stuff I said I was going to do. And the end of the day comes and I might say, oh, I've been out here all day and I caught nothing. There's lots of places that that can apply in our lives. Sometimes in, it can be the case in relationships, it can be the case in friendships. You know, in the midst of the clergy scandals, I have an opportunity to talk to people from all over the country. I have friends all over the country. And I was talking to a priest in another diocese about a priest who was his friend who ended up leaving. And, uh, and he talked about how his greatest sorrow was that he thought there were better friends. Like I thought we were close, but he never told me he was struggling. Or it can feel that way in family relationships when there are family secrets that come to the surface after years and years and years and years and years. I thought we, I thought things were different. And we can fall into this temptation that says, uh, I've invested all this time and I've caught nothing. Has it all been a waste, Lord? And in this particular gospel passage, Simon had been out fishing all night long, caught nothing. Then this person shows up and just like jumps in his boat. He's probably thinking, what are you doing in my boat? Get out of my boat. I want to go home. I didn't catch any fish. My life's over. And he has to listen to him. What he's saying sounds pretty good. Then he says to him, throw your net over the side of the boat for a catch. And Simon says, Lord, we've been out here all night. We've caught nothing. Pause. Like That's this moment of tension in his life. How much time went by in that space? What did our Lord look like as he said to Simon? Throw out your net for a catch. And Simon's immediate response is I don't want to risk doing that. Because he's already humiliated, he thinks he's a pretty good fisherman. 
got nothing. Going to lose it all. Does he really want to like throw the net out one more time just to go through the disappointment one more time of pulling in an empty net? Put out into the deep water for a catch. And he says, but at your command, I will lower the nets. And they catch so many fish that their nets are breaking. How did he trust him so much? to do that because that's really the how and that's the point of tension or the point of struggle in our own hearts so many times is the how like trust in our lord the end okay father how <laughs> And so there's something that happened in between where that comma is. Like what happened at the comma? And I think that's a really important question for the universal church right now. What does it mean to put out into the deep for a catch? It's also a question for each and every one of our own hearts is how do I do that again? And my answer to that question is hmm, not a precise answer or step-by-step -step instruction book or like three ways to do that. But it's just what does our Lord's face look like? So whatever you've been fishing for <laughs> and coming up empty, It's okay to go to our Lord and say, Lord, I've been fishing all night and I haven't caught anything. I've been fishing for 20 years and I haven't caught anything. But linger at the common and pay attention to what our Lord is like with you. What does his face look like? During the lockdown, I watched the Chosen series. I'm on my second time through. I'm watching it with my one of the priests who lives in my house, which is a huge gift because like, 
there's somebody who lives in my house who actually likes to watch TV with me, which is great. Um, and, uh, and we just watched this, this scene as it's portrayed in that show, which is brilliant how they do it. Um, and I won't spoil the whole thing, but what I thought was most brilliant was when Simon goes and he tells the story afterwards, he says, I did it because of the way he looked at me. Because of the way he looked at me. And so the first step is just to let him look at us and to pay attention to what he's like as he looks at us. And we'll continue to reflect on that. Going back to fundamentals is about going back to that moment. And this day of retreat, these days of retreat are days in which we go with our Lord up that mountain where our Lord went to pay attention to the Father To, it, to the way the Father looks at him. And so we're all invited today to go with him to that place and pay attention to the way that he looks at us. And communicates to us that we are his beloved sons and daughters.